congregation that song was an introduction to what we'll read from Holy Scripture. First of all, John 13, 21 to 30, and after that, John 18, 1 to 14. First of all, John 13, beginning at verse 21. And this was at the Last Supper, when they were in the upper room at the Last Supper. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask him to, to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread... Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he, went, he then went out immediately, and it was night. And then we turn to chapter 18. In the intervening chapters, you have the words of Jesus spoken on that last uh, night. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, struck, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? 
Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So far, the reading and the text for this morning is verse 4. I'll read that again. Verse 4 of chapter 18. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls who belong to the Lord. When I was in elementary school, I had a paper route in Fergus where I grew up. But there was a bully in town who sometimes lay in wait for me to come by on my bike and he would push me off my bike and he would keep doing it. So if I, if I knew he was around, if I'd seen him and he was waiting along the route, I would take a different route, avoid him. Well, in the passage we read together in John 18, we're told that Jesus knew that Judas and the band of soldiers and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees were there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew that they were there and that they were going to arrest him. He knew everything beforehand, as it says in our text. He knew it right to the details. And yet, he walked toward them. He did not avoid them. And when he met them, he asked, Whom are you seeking? Whom do you seek? And that's our theme for this morning, in this time of Lent, and on this Palm Sunday, Whom are you seeking? And we see that that question of the Lord Jesus shows his willingness to do God's will, and that question uncovers our unwillingness by nature to do God's will. So, first of all, that question shows Jesus' willingness. Congregation, as we mentioned, he knew exactly what Judas, cooperating with the leaders of the Jews, had planned to do. Because, as we read, he sent Judas away at the Last Supper, telling him, what you're going to do, do that quickly. Do it now. He knew all about the plans to betray him and to arrest him, apprehend him, to, to condemn him, to kill him, get rid of him. He knew very well what lay in store for him, that he was about to suffer and descend into God-forsakenness and to die an accursed death. His father had made that known to him. And he knew his, it became aware of that as he grew up in life at 12 years of age. He was in the temple where all of that was pictured already. And he came to understand that. The father had made it known to him. 
that he was the Lamb of God who was to take away the sins of the world and that to do that he would suffer and descend into the unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony of hell and that he would die an accursed death on a cross. He knew all that was coming as he walked across the Kidron Valley, crossed the brook Kidron, and went up into the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew it. One commentary even points out that when Jesus stepped over the brook Kidron in that valley, that stream would have been running red with the blood of thousands of Passover lambs which had been killed in the temple courts at that time. From the altar in the temple, there was a channel that ran from the temple courts down to the brook Kidron, which would run red with the blood of those lambs as the priests washed the blood from the temple, from their clothing and sandals. And especially on that Passover, when everyone had to offer a lamb. So Jesus crossed that brook red with blood and then the thought of his own sacrifice as the Lamb of God which surely had been vivid in his mind. He knew that his blood was the only sacrifice that would save those whom the Father had given him from eternal condemnation. The only means to bring them into eternal salvation. So as it says in the text, Jesus knew all that would happen to him. And he knew Judas was there in Gethsemane. And that Judas would point him out to the Roman soldiers and the others so they, they could take him, apprehend him, and have their way with him. So what did Jesus do? As I mentioned before, I think you and I would have gone somewhere else if we knew that those people were up there and after us to unjustly, unjustly harm us. What did Jesus do? He walked through that valley over the brook and up the hill toward that band of people in the garden, the place where he had gathered often with his disciples. Yes, we're told in the other Gospels how he then wrestled in prayer at that time. That's not mentioned by John in the Gospel of John. But after that, he, as it were, walks right into the arms of those who were after him. <clears throat> and we're even told something else in the text. He walked among his disciples, and when he saw that band of men with lanterns and torches and weapons, he came forward and he asked them, whom do you seek? And notice that in verse 6 of the chapter, we're told that the people in the band of soldiers even drew back and fell to the ground when he said it the second time. Even though, as we know from the Greek word for, used for band or, or group of soldiers in John 18, was a sizable crowd of soldiers and officers. But those people were powerless at that moment when he asked that question and he showed it. Jesus could have walked away at that point. 
when they were on the ground. Jesus could just have walked away. He could have kept them lying on the ground. Or he could have even ended their lives there at that moment. That was the power he had too. He didn't do any of that. He calmly waited until they had scrabbled to their feet again. And we read in verse 7 that he asked again, Whom do you seek? He offered himself to them. Amazing, isn't it? A lot of Bibles have their, the, the title above the first part of chapter 18, the arrest of Jesus. But actually, you know, it was, it, it, then they say, well, it's, it's as if the soldiers and those, those others went out to apprehend Jesus. They, they, they took him. But Jesus actually was not arrested by others. As we see there, he gave himself to them. That's really what happened there in Gethsemane. He gave himself over to them. Take me, tie me up, but let these men go. Jesus knew what he had to do. God's will, his father's will. And so he wanted to be taken and bound. So it was not an arrest in the normal sense of the word. Congregation, you see then that how our text shows how completely willing and ready Jesus was to let everything that needed to take place to save sinners like you and I, how he was ready to let it happen, come over him, willing. As someone once wrote, Jesus is much more willing to save sinners than sinners are willing to be saved. Just think about it. Jesus was completely willing to be your and my Savior. And here then we see such amazing love in that verse, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, totally willing and ready to give himself up to be sacrificed for our sins as the Lamb of God. Why are we often, all too often, unwilling to give ourselves to Him then? To obey His good commands and directions. To deny ourselves for Him. Because that's what we're inclined by nature to do, aren't we? Why is it so hard for us to entrust ourselves completely to this Savior? Lord, teach me to see my sins and willing to, to go with you willingly and let you wash my sins away and renew my heart. Well, congregation, because Jesus was so willing, he also then allowed that band of officers and soldiers from the chief priests and Pharisees to take him and to bind him. He let them tie him up with ropes like a criminal. And that makes you think of what it says in the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, doesn't it? He was bound so that we might be freed, that he might free us from our sins, from the, God's justice against our sins. You could say that he was taken captive so that we might be free. And that was the result of his willingness to be taken and to be put to death, to free us from our sins. 
And that's salvation for us congregation. Because by nature we're all bound. Bound by Satan and sin. Bound by the curse of the law. Trapped in the sphere of sin and spiritual death. Without knowledge of God and of sin and grace in ourselves. By nature ignorant of what life is about. Trapped in sin. Loving sin. Hating God and the neighbor. And not feeling guilty about it. Like a fish in an aquarium which can only live in the water of that aquarium and not outside it. That's how we are of ourselves. Trapped, bound in the sphere of sin and Satan of ourselves. And let's never overestimate ourselves, congregation. But everyone who believes in Jesus Christ may hear and know he was bound so that you might be free. And freedom means then no longer in the grip of the devil, no longer under the control of sin. Freed by Jesus Christ, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In the light of God's grace and favor. Freed from the curse of the law. Freed from guilt. Freed from the power of the devil. And brought into the freedom of Christ. Into the realm of light and life with the everlasting God. And as believers, you and I are freed only because Jesus was so willing to be taken captive and to be bound there in Gethsemane already. And later, of course, to be condemned and to be crucified and forsaken by God and to let his lifeblood flow for us down the cross. He for me, so that I may live for God now and be with God forever. Whoever truly sees and believes that will love Jesus. Will he or she not love Jesus? This Jesus who stepped forward and said, Whom do you seek? Gave himself up for us. Bound so that we might be freed. Condemned so that we might be acquitted. Cursed so that we might receive blessing upon blessing. Forsaken by God so that we might nevermore be forsaken. Put to death so that we might live forever. Congregation, this Jesus is going to appear one more time on this earth. And he will show himself to all men. We don't know how that will be, but he will show himself to all men. Everyone will know he is there with the mighty sound of the trumpet on the last day. And at that time, he will say to everybody, I am he. And will you see him then as your beloved Savior? Or will you see him as your judge? If he's your judge, you will also fall to the ground like those soldiers and those officers of the high priest, because there's no hope for you forever. You will want the hills and the mountains to fall on you. But if you loved him and struggled from day to day to serve him, fought to believe in him and keep that faith, your joy, 
on that day will know no limits, congregation, when you see him. His appearing will mean total freedom from all sin and struggle and pain and sorrow forever and ever. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon too. Jesus' question also uncovers our unwillingness And then we pay attention to the second part of the text where it says that Jesus came forward when he asked that question, whom do you seek? And congregation, just just to think about that picture, picture it here. Picture what took place. The, The disciples with Jesus in Gethsemane, the garden with the ancient olive trees. It's deep in the night, very dark. And then a band of soldiers and and officers with Judas among them carrying lanterns and torches, a circle of light. And those two groups meet there in in that garden. Jesus' disciples in that band. And then, as it says, Jesus came forward, stepped forward. He stepped forward into the circle of light of those lanterns and torches by himself in the light presents himself here I am I am he earlier on you remember he had I mentioned he had prayed intensely in that garden and when Judas and the band of soldiers and officers approached he presented himself to them ready and willing to do God's will the Father's will. As the Apostle Paul writes later on in Philippians 2, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death on a cross. And congregation, in that stepping forward too, we see our ultimate example of being fully subservient to God's will. Jesus willing to obey the Father even though it would mean terrible suffering for him in body and soul. Willing to obey no matter what the consequences, because that's what God the Father wanted from him. And congregation, then we look here into the mirror of our own lives, and we have to examine ourselves here. Our lives, which are all too often disobedient, which don't fully submit to God's will. God says, do this, but I don't. And he says, don't do that, but I do. In the light of God's word and spirit, I see places that he points out in my life, in that mirror too, in what I do or don't do, in my thinking and my desires, I have to confess that I am all too often so unwilling to obey God's will for my life. And I see that in the mirror of Jesus Christ doing God's will. And even when I try to submit to God's will, even when I don't do what God forbids, I don't lie, I don't defraud people, I don't gossip. And if I do what God commands, I faithfully participate in worship, help other people, give for the needy. Even then, am I as willing and ready as Jesus was when he stepped forward into the light there in Gethsemane. 
Am I as willing and ready to obey God as Jesus was and as shown in our text? When that means denying myself completely even as he did, bearing a cross in the light of Jesus' obedience, we all have to confess that our obedience to God's will is still so far from our Savior's obedience. We have to confess that, don't we? We obey, and, but is, is it willing, wanting, loving obedience? Jesus prayed so intensely for that obedience in the garden beforehand that his sweat became as great drops of blood falling to the ground. It's not easy. Would we be willing to suffer, maybe even die, in order to obey our loving God. And congregation, think of this contrast too, the contrast between two gardens in the Bible. The Garden of Gethsemane mentioned in John 18, and the other garden is the Garden of Eden. In the one garden, we see Jesus, the totally innocent one, who, who lived in total innocence, who steps forward in the light of the torches and the lanterns and he says, I am here, here I am. And gives himself up to be bound and led away and be tried and sentenced, even though he's completely innocent. And in the other garden, the Garden of Eden, we, we see Adam and how he tries to hide himself from God after his sin. Adam, where are you? God asks. He tries to hide from his fall, not willing to admit his sin, to confess it to God. And brothers and sisters, that is how we all are by nature from the beginning of our lives already. Unwilling by nature to truly admit our wrongs right from the beginning of our lives. If something is broken or spilled at home, you know, a parent asks a child, who did this? And it often takes a lot of work before a small child confesses, yeah, I did it. Or if there's a, stir a disturbance in a class at school while the teacher's back is turned and the teacher asks, who threw that? And then nobody says anything because nobody wants to confess. That's how we are after the fall. We don't want to admit. We're guilty. We don't like to confess it. Try to hide from our sins and sinfulness. Maybe hope God will forget about what I did. Maybe my conscience will settle down about what I did over time and then I can forget about it myself even. We do not like stepping forward in the light of God's holiness to confess our sins not before people but especially not even before God by nature we don't like to come forward as David it took David a long time to come forward and confess his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah and finally when he did he wrote in Psalm 51 as we sang earlier God 
You I, have I offended, you alone. In mercy hear my sorrowful confession. How evil in your sight is my transgression. You rightfully condemn what I have done. It's incredibly hard for us to come to that kind of confession, full admission of our guilt before God. And then you see the contrast, congregation. Jesus stepping forward. Who do you seek? I'm he. Completely innocent. Let's himself be tied up, dragged away to judgment before the Sanhedrin. Innocently condemned and crucified. Condemned by people and cursed by God on the cross. But congregation, that's, that's the gospel. The good news of our salvation. Because God's son Jesus Christ innocently but willingly let himself be betrayed and arrested and be condemned. God calls guilty sinners to believe in him, to be delivered from their guilt and their sin in him. He for us, innocently bound to free us, to free guilty people who go to him, to free them from curse and eternal condemnation. God seeks us too today. He seeks us in the gospel not to condemn us, but to save us, to save us from ourselves, from being bound, and to free us from his just judgment. And that gospel goes out today, and the Holy Spirit wants to use it to draw sinners to Christ into the light, to show them their sins, to bring their consciences, to feel their guilt, through the proclamation of the gospel, to cause sinners to confess their sins. Lord, here I am, a sinner. And that's confessed then, not in order to be condemned, but to receive acquittal, to be declared innocent in Christ. And you know, that's so different from the courts that we know here in our country congregation. In the courts of this world, when you confess your crime, then you're sentenced to the punishment you deserve. But the spiritual court works the other way around. Whoever admits and confesses his or her wrongs receives complete forgiveness of all their sins. And that's because Christ was bound to free us, condemned to, to acquit us, cursed in order that we might be blessed. That's what makes the call of the gospel so special, so wonderful. Listen to the Spirit, congregation. Listen to the Spirit's call. Come to Christ, confessing your sins, and you will be forgiven totally. And it's mighty sad if somebody doesn't do it because it's so liberating if you do. And another thing connected with Jesus presenting himself in the garden. Jesus stepped forward in the light where he could be seen. And you know, that's what happens in the preaching of the gospel in the, in the church. Jesus has the gospel preached and he steps forward. Preaching is presenting Jesus and putting him in the light as the true, only, willing, perfect savior from sin. And in the preaching of the gospel, Jesus Christ himself 
presents himself and he asks, as it were, who do you seek? Who are you seeking? And that's the big question we all have to answer here every Sunday again. Also, every time we open the Bible, whom do you seek? Why are you here? Only to feel good about yourself? To find comfort and encouragement for yourself? Or are you truly seeking Jesus? Do you long for Him, for His forgiveness of your sins in Him? Do you truly desire what He wants to give you? What He promises you? Or are you satisfied with a worship service in which you didn't meet Him? Whom, you, whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? Is your desire to embrace Him in faith? Give me Jesus, because outside of Him I have nothing. I seek Him before everything else in my life. Oh, the the soldiers and the officers of the leaders of the Jews came to apprehend Jesus and to bind him with ropes and eventually kill him. And he willingly gave himself over to them. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls too. If he gave himself to them for you, will he then not much more let himself be taken captive by you, so to speak, embraced by you when you seek your life and salvation in him? Will he not be more than willing to give himself over to you and for you in love? Amen.